Welcome to The Bee Podcast. The mission of The Bee is to create an inspiring platform for all women of every age group to have meaningful conversations with the intent to genuinely understand each other's journey, to listen to stories similar and different than our own, engage in each other's triumphs and failures, hear and validate one another on the separate unique journeys we have traveled, the loss we have endured, the joy we have encountered, and the reason behind the lessons we have learned. Bees symbolize community, personal growth, and power. And that is what we aim to do here. Create community, foster growth, and empower women. I'm Cami Milliken, and this is The Bee Podcast. Welcome, and thank you for tuning into this week's episode of The Bee Podcast. Presley Caldwell joins us today to share her life-changing story. At 18 years old, her life was dramatically altered and would never be the same. Her pregnant sister, Lisa, was shot and killed in her home by her husband. Presley shares with us today how the homicide of her sister affected her and her family. She divulges the process in coming to terms with the guilty party, her healing, and how she copes with life now. Join me in this heart-wrenching inside dialogue of just how this homicide that shook Wapolo County has affected those closest to Lisa. Here on the B. Presley, hi. I'm so glad that you're here. Thank you for agreeing to come and share this intimate part of your life. Can you just start off by telling us a little bit about who you are? Yeah, and um, thank you for having me. Um, So my name is Presley Caldwell. Uh, I am a dental hygienist. I live in Ottumwa, raised here, grew up here. Um, You know, it's just part of me. And um, I have three wonderful dogs, super dog mom here, (laughs) and currently engaged and just, yeah, just living it up, I suppose. Yeah, I think it has to be super fun to live at your house because of the dogs and because Brett is just so funny (laughs) and just goofy, which is so great. Yes. Yeah. Yes, whenever we're around like friends and kids, he's a big kid. <laughs> right. Yelling at their kids to calm down, and it's Brett, we need to calm down too. <laughs> Brett, and you're yelling at Brett to calm down. Yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, let's just start at the beginning. Um, growing up, you had a family that was well known in the community. And um, as the daughter of someone in law enforcement, can you talk about what it was like growing up with your sisters and your brother in a law enforcement family? Yeah, so um, growing up primarily, um, for the most part, I had, you know, one older brother and two older sisters. My senior year of high school, my dad had um, a set of twins. They were girls, so I gained two um, younger sisters. Dad's been in law enforcement my whole life, and so, you know, you just have this grander family, if you will, you know, more, you know, you always have eyes out in the community looking after you. Yeah, I've always been a part of that kind of blue line family, and I really take it to heart. I think it's something to be super proud of, and yeah. Yeah, that has to be a really unique experience to have that because I feel like with any profession dealing with like military or any any profession that is dealing with really hard raw things I think it's just fascinating and like you said like a broader a bigger family that is also a part of your life as well yeah absolutely no I would totally agree so how would you kind of describe growing up with your siblings were you did you get along were there what did it what were those dynamics for you guys yeah, I would say I was definitely closer to my brother. Um, we, you know, we always hit it off and, you know, got along really well. Um, obviously, with any siblings, you know, there's going to be fights. For sure. I would say between the two older girls, there was definitely more of a, not jealousy, but they were so close in age. I mean, my, my brother and my, you know, two sisters are all a year apart, almost to the T. They're all born in May, a year apart. Um, and so, you know, with girls being that close in age, 
and their personalities mm-hmm. weren't the same. There was a few clashes there, but I mean, <laughs> it's family, it's dysfunction, it's love, it's <laughs> all of the above. <laughs> it's all, check all the boxes yes. for sure. Okay, so the age difference between you and your next oldest sister mm-hmm. is is three, three, yep, three, three years. Okay, so you had two older sisters and an older brother. And they were all a year apart and they were definitely, I'm certain, looking out for you. But you were the baby for such a long time. Right. Right? Right. And I, I mean, it's still like a running joke that I'm the baby. And, you know, just because I feel <laughs> like you hold that title for so long, it's hard to give it up. But yeah, so it's still the running joke, but I'm technically not the baby anymore. <laughs> Right. And all the, all the birth order things like this being called selfish and all those things with being the baby of the family, whiny. Absolutely. I feel you because I am that, I am that too. I'm the baby of my family. And that's also a running joke. It's gotta be so solidarity. All right. As you kind of grew up and you were finding your way as a young adult, what did your relationship with your siblings and your family kind of look like as you were gaining your independence? Um, I would say independence was a big one. Um, I I think that my parents both, um, I know my mom always saw me just leaving Atomwa, leaving the state, like never looking back, just getting away. And I think she always imagined I would do that. So, you know, early adulthood, you know, between high school and college, like that was not the plan, but yeah, I could have been right where the wind took me and, you know, what have you. So I think as the youngest and as, you know, as you're gaining that independence, it's really easy to think that you're going to, you know, go off and leave and, you know, not come back. Um, And you were very social in high school. So I know in a previous conversation we had, we talked about how you were just kind of doing your own thing most of the time, right? Absolutely. I mean, I think my, my house in high school was to sleep at and that's it. If it was daytime hours, you know, into the night, if I could be with friends and hang out with friends or be at the next sporting event or yeah, I mean, I really enjoyed being with friends and, and, you know, being a part of the school activities and all of that. So that's where I think that I definitely had my independence and where my family was like, Oh, she'll go. Won't look back, look back, but you know, definitely do her own thing, find her own way. And so, yeah, but I came back to Atomwa. Yeah. And- yeah. So Presley, you decided to come back to Atomwa, but I know that I believe it w- was when you were a freshman in college, you had an event that drastically uh, changed your life and maybe the, mm-hmm. maybe the way that it went for a little while. So can you talk to us just a little bit about the morning that everything kind of changed for you? Yeah, absolutely. And I definitely think that this event, you know, was a turning point in my life that definitely started putting down different stones of, you know, I want to be around my family. I want to be back in my community, you know, all of that sort of thing. So on May 26th of 2012, so it was Memorial Day weekend that morning, uh, my sister was shot by her husband and killed. And um, that was, I mean, life altering, obviously. And can you kind of talk about the morning that, that morning, like, what were you doing? Where were you? Uh, were you at school? What, what did that look like for you that morning? Absolutely. So like you said, it was the end of my freshman year. So, you know, May 26, I was going to the University of Iowa at the time. So I was back home for the summer. I was at home. I, I mean, it was very early in the morning. I was sleeping. Uh, I was startled awake at, oh, it had to be within the six o'clock hour. My stepmom at the time, threw my door open of my bedroom and said, watch the girls. Cause I had twin sisters that were born about a year and a half to this. And uh, she said, watch the girls. And all of a sudden I see her driving down and I'm 
getting the sleep out of my eyes, you know, startled, I have no idea what's going on. So I get up and I can hear my dad say, no, no, oh God, no, Lisa's been shot. Lisa's the older sister um, of the two. And she um, was working in the jail at, um, in Washington County, Iowa. And I don't know why my head went there. I didn't know if she was working. I didn't know her schedule at the time, that sort of thing. So in an odd way, like I remember in the back of my mind being like, gosh, surely like if she got shot at their job, like, you know, she's protected, she's wearing her stuff, she's good. But then my mind, you know, quickly turned when I'm like, well, why are people driving my stuff? I'm just drove away. My dad's asking where the keys are to my car because, you know, he needs to leave immediately. So he leaves. Um, so I'm, I'm sitting there with the twins. I have no idea what to do, what to think. I, you know, I've kind of just been left with this question of, you know, what's going on, what's next. And um, I call my best friend. She lived very close to me at the time. And I go, you need to, you need to drive a car over that I can drive. Uh, Cause she was driving a stick shift at the time. And so that I can drive. I was like, you need to drive a car over. <laughs> yeah. Oddly that I was like, Hey, make sure. So I said, drive a car over that I can drive. And she's like, what's going on? And, you know, really frantically, I just go, Lisa's been shot. Like I need, I need to go. And so she, you know, she rushes over. Lisa was not at work. She was at her home. And so I, while I was waiting for the vehicle, I got on the phone with my dad. I finally reached him and he goes, she's dead. And so right then I called my mom. I knew that she was leaving for a trip that morning. And so I called her immediately and I, I go, Lisa's, Lisa's been shot. She's dead. And I was also the person that had to call um, my brother and my other sister they were camping together at Lake Wapalo. So I was kind of that person that I will forever. I mean, it's always, it's always been something that's really not bothered me. You know, I, I, I was that person that did it. I'm glad they heard it from me than someone else. But that's always something that has really, you know, sucked to, to have to do, to call your family members, to be that, to give that news. And so that, um, I called them and I notified them and by this time, my, my friend was there with her car and I drove out to the property and I couldn't even, you know, mention how much time has passed. But by the time I got there, I mean, things were taped off. And so I, I embraced her husband and I, you know, we just held each other and, you know, cried. And that was kind of my morning. So as you received that information from your stepmom um, at the time, you saw her draw, drive off. So she drove off with the intention of just like getting to Lisa or... I think she felt like she could have done something. She, she was a nurse at the time. And I think she just felt like if she got there, she could do something, you know, she worked in the emergency room. You know, I can't speak as being a parent on what you do when you receive that news, yeah. but I, I guess I imagine you just feel like you have to get immediately to your kid. And right. Yeah. You can. And so, right. um, I think that was her intention is just, you know, leaving. And at that time I didn't know what was going on. All she did was slam the door and say, watch the girls. And she was gone. And it was dad that, you know, well, yeah, she probably, yeah. So, and at that so I think time, she was just trying to get there as quick as she could. Yeah. And then, so you're left with that information and off your dad goes, who is a deputy. So off he goes and you are left with all of that information. So what was going on in your brain during that time? I mean, can you kind of share? I would say it was just a lot of, you know, shock, um, confusion. You know, you, you think, you know, like I said, I remember thinking, oh, she was, if she was at work, she was fine well, but wait, then they're driving then, but then you're calling to try to, you know, there's just so, there's so many things happening. Emotion overload, your shock, your, my adrenaline. I remember just kind of shaking because you, I think that's your body's way of, you know, protecting you from everything. And so it's just, there's so much going on Yeah, in such a short yeah. burst of time within a few moments. 
So then you finally were able to get a hold of your dad and as a deputy, he got there and you were able to talk with him. Can you share with us maybe what you remember about that day other than, you know, getting the news. I mean, it's interesting. As soon as you got there, I mean, it still felt like you were all a family at the time with how things transpired in later days. Can you talk about how you felt when you got to the house and, you know, you did see things taped off. Lisa's husband was at the scene and all of that. Absolutely. So yeah, I mean, you know, there had to be an investigation. Um, it would, I mean, I can tell you that that morning it wouldn't, it wouldn't have been anybody at either part of the family's first thought, but it would have been um, her husband that did it. They were having some trouble with the neighbors, but all we knew was that she was shot. We, you know, there's, there's so little information that, you know, we're still just, you know, we knew we had to wait for the puzzles to be made. I, even though you want answers, you know, at the drop of a hat, you, I mean, we knew the system, we knew dad's a deputy. And so when I got there, I mean, it, it was a crime scene. It looked like a crime scene. There was tape, there was every law enforcement vehicle I felt like in the county there. Um, I mean, these are people that we grew up with that essentially, you know, helped raise us in a way and, you know, make us who we were. So I just can't imagine, you know, what it was like for them either. But yes, her husband was there. Um, I, like I said, I embraced him. He, he seemed to be crying at the time. Um, and it was just, everyone just had no idea what was happening. Yeah. Okay. So you know that she's, she's been shot. You know that she is gone now. Did you ever have any question on, you know, who was responsible for it? Like you're trying to, you're trying to put the pieces together, like immediately, right? Like you were saying, like put those puzzle pieces together right. in your brain. Did you have any like suspicions or? I, I personally did not. I would, I, I didn't have any idea where to go. I didn't entirely know what was going on, like with the neighbor. I knew that they were having, I knew the neighbor had, you know, they had some run-ins in the past where, you know, the law enforcement had to be called. And, and I mean, they were just, you know, neighbor disputes, like minor things. And so I knew his mental state was in question in the past. And so um, I think initially, and <laughs> as horrible as this sounds, ideally, and I hate myself for saying that because I've never want to place, you know, a crime on somebody else. But Seth was such a big part of our family. Um, and he, you know, he's been in, been in our lives for such a long time. They were high school sweethearts. They, gosh, I think they were together like 10 years before they even got married, you know? So, I mean, that's a, a very big part of our lives. He was easily, I could call him one of my best friends. So, I mean, it would, it would be so ideal, right? It would, but, and I hate saying that. So I, I did not have any sort of suspicion that it was set the morning of. Well, because you're trying to make sense of it because right. I mean, your life is like dramatically different, but then to think that another piece of your life would have been altered. I mean, it's weird to say I truly felt like I lost two people and I did. I mean, I, I can, I can, it's not weird to say, but you want to, you know, as soon as you know, this, the husband does something, you know, horrible to your sister, like you want to be able to be like, Oh, screw him. But we were so close. I mean, so my sister was four years older than me. He was two years younger than her. So we, he kind of like split us. And I mean, I worked with him I went to school with him, you know, we were so close and I called him on things that, you know, I wouldn't even call my sister on. So I, I easily lost, I mean, I lost two people that day and it's hard. It's not hard to find hatred for him. It's hard to find hatred for him who I thought he was before that day. It's easy to find hatred for him for what he did and who he was and what I found out after that day. But before that day, 
it's hard to think that our relationship is a lie. And so that's what you kind of start pondering. Yeah, absolutely. So then if you feel comfortable, could you share with us what you remember about the days that followed Lisa's murder? Yeah. Uh, there's su- I mean, they're super blurry. You know, when you have something tragic happen to you, you, you remember very vivid details on things and then you, but like your timeline gets super blurry. I, so it was Saturday, you know, May 26th that morning she was shot. Seth went in for, you know, interrogations and interviews, you know, that, that day, you know, just to learn what happened. He lawyered up that very first day. So you know, our family, now we're having to plan a funeral. We're having, you know, to get these arrangements done. You know, our families have always been in each other's lives. So we're, you know, we've both lost somebody we really love. We're going to do this together. Dad was, you know, we kind of all met at my dad's house. That was kind of like the headquarters, if you will, for everything going on. You know, people just started piling in, you know, dropping off food, drinks, you know, really came in to support us, you know, during this time. And so, and we will forever. I know that our family will just be forever grateful for everyone that came and supported and helped us out. But now it's time, you know, to plan a funeral. So Seth had lawyered up on Saturday. So, um, you know, I think that that, that fact really bothered dad, um, you know, just being in law enforcement. You know, I, I think that he kind of felt like if you have nothing to hide, well, then what are you doing? You know, so I, I think that bothered him. But, you know, for the sake of the family and, you know, the nature of everything, he still was inviting his family over and him over to the house to figure things out. And his lawyer at the time called and told my dad that he was not allowed to ask Seth what happened to Lisa. That really struck a chord with him. And that was, you know, and dad's like, if I can't ask him what happened to my daughter while he was there, then I, there's no reason for me to talk to him. Sure. So kind of at that moment, dad was not, he did not need to see him. He did not need to talk to him because that's, that's his main question, you know, that he needed answered. And yeah, I mean, everyone did. And so we actually met because go ahead sorry because at that point the claim was that that Seth didn't know what happened yeah he he was in the shower when it happened you know yeah it was the claim yeah that he didn't know what happened he heard the boom and yeah yep so and you know things are being investigated so it's just a really weird time um so Sunday we um we met Seth, um, me, my mom, my sister, uh, my sister-in-law, my stepmom, we met him just at a neutral location, actually Memorial Park. And we just met and we just talked casually about, you know, the funeral will be at Reese's, you know, pretty minor details. And then my stepmom, I think she was giving him a hug and she just goes, what happened? And it was kind of like shut down real quick. You know, we're not going to talk about it we can't, we can't discuss that. So it was, you know, it was just, it was really bizarre and weird. So then we're planning a funeral and kind of, you know, those days are, you know, you're, you're grieving and you're waiting for answers. I mean, it was, it was a huge waiting game. I remember just like, you know, nobody was arrested the first night. Nobody was arrested the second night, you know, and it, it takes time and we understood that, but it's still just a different feeling, a worrisome feeling. Yeah. Because at the same time that you are trying to, you know, grieve, There are people on the other end, people that you've, you know, your second family, they're trying to figure out what has happened. And um, the Department of Criminal Investigations was involved as well. I mean, death is hard in general, but murder, you know, a violent act, I, I can't even imagine, Presley. So that had to have felt even heavier, you know, because the people that you love and you grew up with are trying their hardest to figure out what happened because there aren't any answers. Right. And I mean, I don't, 
I don't ever want to minimize how anyone dies, but you are, I mean, when you, when it's unexpected and it is tragic and it's confusing and yeah, there's no answers and, you know, days go by. Yeah. You just, you sit, I mean, you just have to sit there and wonder and it, you know, it just, it drives, you know, drives you nuts and it drives you crazy. And I just can't imagine, you know, with my dad being in law enforcement, how that was for him. You know, there's this investigation going on within his department about his daughter who was murdered. I just can't imagine, you know, how that was for him. And yeah. And I, I do know that, you know, the sheriff at the time, um, Don Kirkendall sat through, uh, Lisa's autopsy. And it's just like a small thing that even my dad, you know, and I was talking to him, you know, earlier about it. And he was like, wow, he was like, you just kind of forget, you know, when you hear things like how it hits you and how powerful and, you know, meaningful, like different things are that kind of happen to us, you know, small things, small details that happen to us, you know, in those days after. Um, anyways, the sheriff at the time, Don Kirkendall sat through, uh, Lisa's autopsy. And Lisa was pregnant at the time. So she was 17 weeks pregnant at the time that she died. Um, they knew that they were having a little girl and they were going to name her Zoe. And he came to my dad after he got back to town and he pulled him aside and he just said, you know, Todd, um, and you know, he was emotional. Like I said, we grew up with him and he goes, something along the lines that, you know, he just, he sat there and he realized that he got to see his granddaughter, my dad's granddaughter, and my dad will never be able to see his granddaughter because of this act. I mean, so, you know, I, I need to correct myself when I say that I lost two people, you know, when I, you know, I was kind of referencing Seth and Lisa that day because, you know, there was somebody else involved and I, I never got to meet her and, you know, we never even got to see her. And so, you know, we yeah. see photos, but those aren't not enough. It's not, yeah. That's not how, that's yeah, not how it should have been. And so, yeah. So you had these little pieces that were, you know, powerful and meaningful through those long, I'm certain they were long and just gut-wrenching days. What else did you experience during that time that, um, that you remember still to this day? I just remember, I just remember, you know, a lot of love and support. I mean, I can't go unnoticed. Iowa cops, so Iowa Concerns of Police Survivors have to give them the best shout out ever because they, um, they're an organization that deal with police officers, you know, law enforcement that has died in the line of duty. Um, the chapter was very new at the time that Lisa died and Lisa's death was not in the line of duty, obviously. Um, but when they got the call, they didn't, we didn't know, you know, what was going on and they didn't understand, you know, the events around it. And so they responded and they, I mean, they, you know, they could have turned around as soon as they realized that the scenario was, didn't fit their mission, but they were so invested already with our family and in it that, you know, they stayed by, they made sure she was honored the best way that she could be. And, um, they just really provided so much support and guidance through this. So, and their survivors, you know, the organization is made up of survivors themselves that have experienced loss. So, you know, they had a direction of what, where to go and what to do. And so just a lot of love and support those days. Yeah. That's so wonderful. If there's something that's going to like, just totally break your heart, it's going to a funeral for someone who was in the military or in law enforcement. That just is it is so powerful. And there were so many people at her funeral and so many law enforcement officers all of, you know, from all over Iowa. That was just incredible. I do remember her procession and it being just the most, I mean, I remember riding through it through town to get to the cemetery and just being like in awe of people standing out with flags, you know, all the different law enforcement vehicles. I mean, it was, I mean, it, it's weird to say 
amazing and beautiful, but it, it just was because it just really, it really just honored her. And, you know, she was a reserve officer. She worked at the jail. I mean, you know, she, you know, was in the law enforcement community. And so, yeah, it, it was just, it was beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. A wonderful tribute. Yeah. So you're getting ready for her funeral, but before her funeral, at her visitation, there was a substantially large event that took place. Can you speak to that? Uh, yes. Yeah. So her visitation was Wednesday. And, you know, by this time, there would have been five days of investigating going on. Um, so by this, by Wednesday, they knew who did it. You know, they had enough evidence that um, it pointed to one person and one person only. Um, and that was Seth. So Wednesday, the day of her visitation, we, um, we knew that Seth was going to be arrested. They were going to try to arrest him by five o'clock. Um, her visitation was at night. However, that unfortunately did not happen. So we had to go through her whole visitation um, with him there. And our family knew that he was being arrested. It's not something that we made, you know, knowledge to everyone because that would have been inappropriate and just not at the time. And so our family knew it, but Seth, yes, was at her whole entire visitation. And him and his family kind of stood in the back. Um, our family stood up next to her. Um, and yeah, and so it's, <laughs> I kind of stood in the middle just, you know, with my support system. And it was just, it was such a weird time knowing that your brother-in-law is going to be arrested for killing your sister. And he approaches me that evening at the visitation and he, you know, puts his arm around me and he just says, Presley, you'll always be my sister and I love you. And I go, I know, you know, I don't, what do you, what do you say? How do you react, you know, to that sort of information? And it was just like, mm -hmm. I don't know. It, sometimes I, I mean, I'm so proud of my family for, <laughs> I mean, not reacting in, you know, a more detrimental way, you know, towards him, you know? Yeah. I just can't, yeah. you know, I can't imagine a family knowing that somebody has killed their family member and just having to like sit there and you're going through a visitation with them there. And it's just a horrible scenario. So, so complex, so complex, all of that. So then he is arrested. So what did that look like? Yeah. So it was, the visitation was over. Uh, we were sitting down um, and they were reading who sent what flowers, what plants, you know, all that. And there was a little bit of a commotion. Um, the um, investigators asked, um, you know, law enforcement came in and asked uh, Seth to step outside. And um, he, he did. And again, you, you know, to bring up one of those meaningful, powerful, small little details that a lot of people don't know, um, he was arrested outside of the visitation and they used Lisa's handcuffs to arrest him. Wow. So, you know, we kind of spoke, you know, about this before and it, you know, it was a very, a powerful justice moment, you know, using the handcuffs of the person that you've essentially killed to take you away. Yeah. And it feels almost like a promise that the law enforcement family that she was a part of and that she grew up with was going to take care of her and they were going to do her justice. Yeah. So, wow. So then it doesn't get any easier. It seems like after that, there's so much that has, you know, happened. So, I mean, how, what, what was going on in your brain while he was being arrested? Like when it was final? Yeah. And I, I think, unfortunately, you don't feel that final. You know, you you think when people are arrested, like, it's cut and dry, like, this is it. And it's really, you know, now you have to learn why. And now you have to learn, you know, what happened. Oh, why yeah. would this even, you know, why did this occur? All of 
all of these, it almost <laughs> opens up another whole book of questions that you didn't even know that you had. Um, and yeah. so my parents yeah. went down um, to the law enforcement center and they, you know, the detectives were able to go over what they've gathered and, you know, why they arrested him. And yeah, they came home and they shared it with us. Um, he was having an affair. Um, it was a pretty passionate one at that. And um, I guess he just felt like this was, I don't know, the, the thing to do. That was kind of, you know, right after that night. And I, I can't ever speak to, you know, how other people felt hearing, you know, the evidence that they had and, you know, the why, just because, you know, the, it, when you hear the why, the why never makes sense. <laughs> and yeah, that's what, that's right. almost like another hard thing that we've always talked about, like, geez, if he would have just divorced her, like we would have taken care of her and, and the baby and, you know, right, right. wasn't the answer. And I, you know, I, I kind of just went through a destruction mode and I destroyed images and things. And that was just kind of how I responded to the news that I heard. Yeah. So more information that is even more heart-wrenching and just makes you physically ill knowing those things. So you know all of this information and um, this case was, you know, so, so significant in uh, the community of Wapello County. So then going out in public, you know, since so, so many people knew your family and everyone, I think, in Atemwa, if, even if they didn't know you, they did now. They, they knew the Caldwell family. Uh, so how did you cope with going out in public after the event during, you know, the thick of it? Um, I don't think that, you know, I, I, I personally did not struggle going out in public. I don't know if I really went out in public too much. Um, you know, I, I wasn't hesitant. Like I said, you know, the community showed so much uh, love and support, you know, the days following the event that I didn't think, you know, any, I guess I didn't think anything of it. So going out in public, you know, obviously I think you've, you think people are staring, you think people are, you know, whatever, but I would say that social media probably played more of a, a role in my thought, if you will. Um, you know, the, the morning after the event, I had, you know, a flood of friend requests and I'm like, no, like, <laughs> I know you want to be nosy. I know you want to know who the sister is of the sister that got murdered, but like, no, like I don't, we're just, we're not doing this today. <laughs> so <Yeah>. that, <laughs> that was kind of probably social media was something that I may have avoided a little bit more than actually like just going out in public. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that would make sense, but it is. Yeah. I know we talked about this before, but that is so funny. People get so no nosy. Like you said, they want to know, they want to feel like they're on the inside of it. Yeah. Yeah. Which is so inconsiderate to those right. who are grieving. I'm not your entertainment. Yeah. Um, okay. So then what did court look like for your family? When was the court dates? How long was the trial? Yeah. So, um, so she was killed in May of 2012, uh, court had the first trial. Um, we had three trials, unfortunately. Um, the first trial happened in Wapolo County. That was where the, um, event and the crime took place. Uh, that happened the following February. So not quite a year after. Um, so, you know, it's just a waiting game. You just, it's a moment where you can, you can kind of start, I mean, you're grieving and you're, you're slowly getting into it, but you also have a huge question mark, you know, hanging over your head because, you know, there's a trial. The jury has to find him unanimously guilty, you know, even though we know it and we see it and what have you, you know, it's, there's still a huge question mark. We had to trust, you know, trust the system, but it's, you never know, which is unfortunate. And, but that's, that's the American justice system. And so we had trust in it. We, you know, even though it was a question mark, we just had to get over right. that, you know, that first hurdle, that trial and, you know, get that conviction. Uh, unfortunately, um, 
we did not get that the first trial. And, you know, when I talk about, you know, we, even though we knew him to be, you know, he was the person that did it. I, I will say that I, for me, when I say we, it's family, <laughs> but for myself, I really had to sit through the first trial to feel it a hundred percent that he did it. And the reason why I say that is it's a very emotional, um, you know, it's a very emotional trial. You know, you're hearing dash cam footage of my father being in the room, you know, hearing him wailing that she's dead and, you're seeing autopsy photos and it's, it's super tragic and graphic and horrible to sit through. And he's stone cold through the whole thing. He shows no emotions. And, you know, in court, they tell you, you know, you can't get emotional. You can't get, you can't show your emotions that much, but you, you would have just thought like a tear or something, you know, a, a, a glance, a look, you know, anything that would, you know, shed some sort of light, like, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm innocent. They have the wrong guy, but it would just, you never got that from him. And I think for me, that was the most telling sign. I mean, I could sit and go through, you know, the emails that he sent and, you know, the messages and, you know, his alibi was horrible and his story was horrible and things didn't make sense. But for me, I just had to see how he responded to everything to truly feel that he did it. Because after the arrest, obviously you weren't able to have any contact with him until the trial. And so seeing him being so cold and stoic would have been really difficult you know, because you had that relationship with him. And I mean, his wife was pregnant and they were going to have a family. And I mean, seeing pictures, graphic images of what happened, you would, you're exactly right, Presley, that would be just awful to not see any expression from him. And like I said, I think that that was just the most telling. I mean, I just, I just imagine if I was accused of this, of this heinous crime and this, you know, and it was against my, my spouse that I would, I would be pleading and I would be like, guys, it wasn't me or I'd be, yeah, yeah. I, I just, I never want to respond or, you know, talk about how a person should feel and act during a thing, but I can tell you that it didn't seem like there was a dry eye in the courtroom when things were being shown and played and his were. And I just, I felt like that was just the most telling, you know, the actions were speaking louder than the words type of thing. It's almost like it kind of, it kind of sounds like he was finally able to take off the mask that he was wearing. And maybe, and it sounds like that's exactly who, you know, this man actually was, is the stoic, yeah. cold individual. You know, you, you had come to believe something so different. And so right. to kind of process that. And I know you had said that, like, you know, you kind of put your relationship with him in a box or, or you know, mm -hmm. in you segment it out. But yeah, can, yeah. Can you talk about how you kind of segmented that out? Yeah. So yeah, like I said, you know, previously I was, I was super close to, um, to Seth and I, you know, I would, I would call him on kind of big events in my life that I, you know, I, I didn't, he would be my first call. So it's, it's really hard for me to just, you know, forget all of that and just hate him and, you know, wish all these things and what I, I just, that's not, my grieving process doesn't work that way. And everyone's grieving process is different. So for myself, I, I really have to like kind of break them up into three different parts essentially. And it's, it's, you know, him and my relationship and, you know, through school and working and this, that, whatever. And then, you know, and then I, I kind of hear about when his affair started and, you know, that whole segment of him. And obviously I didn't know that person and then kind of the day and I could, you know, wrap those last two portions into probably one, you know, I could probably do it in two, but for some reason in my mind, it's, he's in threes. I just, for some reason have to hold on to what I thought I knew of him. And I, I don't know why I need that 
that relationship history to like get me through things. But I, I don't know if it's worse thinking that it's all a lie or it was just part a lie, you know, of how he was and who he was. And so I, I guess I'll just take part of a lie and that, that helps get me through. So I, I know that other people are responding differently, but okay. I'll take that he was part of a lie. Part of <laughs> His lie. last year and a half with us was a lie. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. So even now you've got that segmented out and you hold on to like, at least there was something that we had that was authentic. I would love to believe it. And you know, I, I hope, and I, I don't know why I hope and want to believe it, but yeah, it's something that I hold on to. Who knows? <laughs> it's another big question mark in the book of question marks, but who, who knows if that was all yeah. true and stuff on his end. Mine was. And so. Oh my goodness. Okay. Yeah. So then Seth was on trial three different times. There were two mistrials. Correct. So what then did it feel like when he was finally convicted, found guilty? For myself, relief. Um, I think, you know, I, I speak to how the court, you know, the trials were, you know, I mean, it's very graphic. You have to hear every single detail of the events leading up, the event of, you know, the post events. And so we had, yeah, we had two mistrials and then one. So our, our family, you know, and everyone had to listen to this three separate times. And, you know, it's, it's hard enough, like experiencing like death and then having like that one day, but then you have these three separate times that it's almost a month long of these, you know, horrible details and stuff. And after the first mistrial, you're like, in my mind, you know, even though I knew he did it, you're like, what are they not seeing? What are we missing? What is happening? And the second one, you're like, oh my, come on guys. Like what's going on? It's not that hard. And then, you know, by the third time, you know, when they finally get it, I mean, it's a ton of relief. It's a ton of, you know, it's, it's a door shut, you know, in a, a very long, long road, you know, it was like a year and a half of justice being served. And for, a lot of us, you know, the trials were almost a month long, essentially. And so put your life on pause, essentially, for that time. And you had to relive this horrific day, you know, and other details. And so, yeah, huge relief, huge, just like a finally, just, you know, doors being shut, just let's, let's get this other process going. Yeah. What was his sentence? So his sentence was, I'm sorry, his charges that he was having tried against him were first degree murder and then um, non-consensual termination of a human pregnancy. Uh, that was to recognize uh, Zoe. Those were his, char- his charges. So sentencing for first degree murder is, you know, life in prison without parole. And then um, the non-consensual termination, I think it's a max sentence of 25 years. Um, I'm not 100% positive on the sentencing, but, you know, the, obviously the first degree murder, life without parole, he's put away forever. Yeah. So then as someone who, you know, was so close to him for so long and now you're living this actual nightmare, you felt relieved. Did you feel like you needed to grieve at all in a, in a weird way that loss? Yeah, I, grieve is such a weird thing to talk about, I, I think. And I, I always feel like I'm a weird griever and I, I don't feel like I do things right. Um, I think I'm a very like shove under the rug type of, you know, <laughs> mental health type of person. And I, I, I think grief is so, you know, there's not a book on it. There's no, you know, 10 step program on how to, how to, you know, get over this. I mean, you don't get over it. You just, you truly just learn to live with it. And, you know, I can easily say that this isn't grief. Isn't something that is ever gone and you know, that you start and you stop. I mean, it's just, it's kind of just a part of who you are. Uh, it hits you at different times. It can come like a big tsunami or it can just be like a misty day. I mean, 
those are super cliche things to say, but it's just, it's, you never know. There can be triggers that get you. There can be, you know, it's just, it's not an easy thing to describe. And I, it's not an easy thing to go through. And so it's just different for everyone. And you just have to respect that part of everyone and how they want to do it. You know, like I said, I don't, I don't feel like I do it right, but it's what I do. I can be really morbid. Mm -hmm. I make weird jokes about death and (laughs) killing my sister. And it's just makes people uncomfortable, but it's how I get through it. (laughs) Well, and again, that's your process. So, right. Yeah. Right. So you're entitled to that. Yeah. So what are some triggers for you then? Certain dates, certain, like the feeling of a morning, different times of day, weather. Yeah. I mean, I, the month of May is such a weird month for our family. Like I mentioned before, you know, we celebrate all, you know, my brother, my two sisters, you know, Lisa and Mariah, and then Blaine, we celebrate their birthdays all in May, but that's also the month that she died in. And so it's such a weird it's such a weird time. Obviously the day, May 26th, is always going to be a day that my head is just kind of not in the right spot. You know, I'll have years that I wake up crying and I have years that I can kind of wake up and go on and just kind of do a little nod at the day and okay, yep, we're going to get through this. (laughs) Again, you never know. Are you going to get a tsunami of grief? Are you going to get, you know, little reminders? And so that's why I say it's always something that you have. I will say that I definitely have a sense of PTSD when I have to call and tell somebody that, that somebody's dead because that it, it instantly brings me back to the morning that I had to call my mom and my brother and sister and notify them. And, you know, I lost my cousin. It's been a few years now. And yeah, when I got the call about him and I called the next person, it was, although, you know, emotions were there for my cousin. I mean, it, it was definitely a lot of like, Oh gosh, you know, I've, I've done this before and this is like a horrible feeling. And, and I, you know, it, and it's interesting that, you know, that, you know, having to call and share that information can be so, so tough, you know, when there was, you know, a lot of things that were tough, you know, throughout the whole thing. And so calling people and sharing news is tough. Awkwardly enough, if I go to a funeral, I could laugh the whole time. I don't really cry at funerals just because it's, I think they're really awkward and weird now. And I, that's probably me just avoiding some other shoved under the rug emotion yeah. about, <laughs> you know, what I went through, but I'm an, I'm an odd, I'm an odd duck when it comes to grieving <laughs> and what I do and my triggers and how I respond. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it ebbs and flows. Like, you know, like you said, is it going to be a tsunami or is it going to be, you know, tolerable? It is difficult to to navigate. So give yourself some credit there. It's, a difficult thing to navigate. Yeah. <laughs> so then you, your family was interviewed by multiple programs about this entire thing. And they were there during the trials and everything. How did that, you know, being interviewed and kind of followed by Dateline, how did that affect you? Uh, yeah. So yeah, Dateline, um, you know, our family did do a, um, an episode or, you know, we, we wanted to get Lisa's story out there. Um, how that came about was my dad was always, you know, he always watched Dateline. He was kind of an avid Dateline watcher. And he watched an episode of another father who was in law enforcement that lost a daughter to, you know, a tragic crime. And he actually just reached out to Dateline to be like, you know, can you give my information to this individual? Because I would really like to meet with him about, you know, no no death or, you know, losing somebody, it's never the same for the next person. And so, you know, I kind of always, always hated the phrase, like, you know, like I get how you feel or like, yeah. Oh, you know, all of that. But so he, he was just wanting, you know, I think some sort of insight on, you know, how to handle, you know, you're in law enforcement, which have you. And there were some connections, you know, some similarities, but you know, they were also drastically different. So then I think that that kind of, you know, the dominoes started happening. And so yes, Dateline came to, um, 
they weren't at the first trial. They came to, um, I believe, the second and third. But I mean, they, they were a very respectable program. They were very professional in the sense that they, you know, allowed it to be us telling the story. And, you know, it's a little scary putting your emotions and how you feel, you know, on national television. And But, you know, it, I think ultimately for our family, um, you know, we kind of had split thoughts on if we should do it, if we shouldn't. You know, my, my brother specifically, he didn't want a program getting TV ratings on his sister's death. And I... I I thousand percent get that. And I, I, you know, understand that. And for my dad, you know, he found some sort of solace in the program that he saw of the other fellow law enforcement officer that lost his daughter. And so I think for him, he was like, if I can put my story out there and help someone else, then I, I want that to happen. And so for dad and, you know, my mom, you know, sharing their story and sharing Lisa, who she was and that was therapeutic for them and they needed that. And, but for, you know, my brother wasn't going to do that. So our family was split on it, but I think you know, like I said, with grief and coping, you have to respect everyone's ways of dealing with things. And so, you know, it's, it's nerve wracking putting your emotions out there for, you know, for national television, but if it could help the next person, then that's, I guess that's ultimately what you can do. Yeah. So once that episode of Dateline aired, I think again, everyone in Wapolo County was watching because it was so huge. Well, I mean, it's not just a huge event in a Wapolo County. It was a huge event in general. I remember lots of people just gathering at other people's houses and, you know, watching it, but you didn't watch it that night. Did you? I, oddly enough, like, I don't think I did. I don't remember. I don't remember watching it that night and I very well could have. I have seen the episode. I just can't really think back to like my first time watching it. (laughs) I've seen it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that would have been another sort of trigger. It just, I mean, it just feels like, gosh, it's never ending. You know, you've, you've got to go through this. And even me right now, I'm like, Hey, Presley, you're like, ah, God, lay off. You know? Well, and that's why I think it's healthy, you know, and not everybody would think this, but I, I, I am an open book when it comes to this stuff. You know, I don't mind sharing information. I know that, and I know how in a community things can become, you know, misconstrued and, you know, weird rumors. And like, I'm an open book. I'll talk about it. I'll share things. I have no problem doing that. And so, for me, it's, you know, I have no problem. So yeah, I, I get that it's like reliving, but I think also, you know, for our family and, you know, for how we feel, you know, Lisa's, Lisa's memory is not dead. Like, you know, if we talk about her, you know, we can keep her alive and, you know, we can keep who she is alive. And so I think that that's important to our family. So I sharing those stories and, you know, talking about, you know, who she was and it's, yeah. it's, it is therapeutic. I mean, yeah. So can you, can you then, I mean, I remember, I remember what I remember about Lisa because I, we were in the same graduating class. She was just always just so positive and just laughing all the time. But can you share, you know, some, some positive, just things about Lisa that make you laugh? Yeah. I mean, you know, she was loud. She was super obnoxious and loud (laughs) and you couldn't tell her a secret. I mean, she would, you know, if you're like, Hey Lisa, she'd be like, what? And just yell. And you're like, well, these people know we're talking about him now. So that's cool. She, I mean, you know, I mean, you couldn't sit by her when she was eating spaghetti because you would have it all over you too. I mean, she just had these like, (laughs) you had to love, even though they drove you nuts, you know, at the same time. One thing, Mm -hmm. you know, during the (laughs) the visitation that made us all laugh. She was pregnant and, you know, we had the baby book out, you know, at her visitation and it was on a page. And I think of the, the thing said, you know, what's my mommy craving? And she wrote, she meant to put donuts. That must've been what she was craving. So we're in the visitation. I mean, oddly enough, you know, dead sisters right there and we're reading this baby book and she meant to put donuts and she put dog nuts. (laughs) So now in this baby book forever, 
it says that she was craving dog nuts. So my sister-in-law actually said she was like, I won't call it anything different now. Donuts are always dog nuts. <laughs> so it's just, <laughs> maybe that was her way of being like, okay, guys, it's, you know, it's lighten up, you know, what's going on, you know, this and share it, you know, had it on that page and everything. But yes, so she was craving dog nuts during her pregnancy, oddly enough. <laughs> but I mean, that just, you know, that just, that was so Lisa. I mean, she would have made a mistake and then you just had to laugh about it and shrug it off. And yeah. You know, we all have our, you know, our, our flaws and, you know, she definitely had hers too. And I guess I am the type that just because somebody has passed away, like you don't have to, you know, not talk about them. I mean, that's what makes you a person. And so, I mean, she had hers and, but you, you loved her for them and, you know, just like we all love each other for ours. And so, yeah, she was just loud and obnoxious and messy and loud, you know, couldn't tell a secret and you just, you loved her for it. And she was very bright. I mean, I, you know, when she laughed, you could hear it. And it would totally change your mood around. And it was so infectious. And I think that that's, it's something that I, sometimes I just sit here and I try to think and remember it and it, it gets harder, but you know, you just, you try to hold on to those yeah. little quirks that she had and what made you smile instead of like a hard, tragic, you know, things. Yeah. Do you ever find yourself, do, is, it a, is it hard sometimes to remember certain things as time has passed? Uh, definitely. Yeah. I, you know, when I, we talked about doing this, I had to call my mom and be like, mom, I don't really remember a lot of my childhood. And I don't know why that is. I mean, it wasn't that long ago. And so I'm like, it's weird to think that you, you know, I kind of, again, you know, I don't know what it is with me breaking things up in three, but I essentially had Lisa in my life for, you know, two thirds of my life and the last one third, you know, she hasn't been there. And so, I mean, we're, we're approaching this like 50, 50 of having her and not, and it is just becoming a lot harder to remember having her rather than remembering what it was like yesterday. You know, I, you still have those memories and all of those things, but sometimes, you know, when we talk of, you know, we talk at a family, I'm just, we'll, we'll be like diving deep into memories. And I'm like, I don't remember that. <laughs> so yeah. I, I find it challenging to remember, yeah. but. Well, I think with any trauma and I know that after time passes, I know that it's possible that you can begin to kind of, or like, you know, the way that someone's voice sounds or how their laugh sounds, those things kind of fade, which is so unfair and an awful, awful trick. Yeah. And it is because, you know, like there's things from that morning that are so vivid. And so like you said, it's, it's unfair, you know, say if it pushed out wonderful, you know, memory and replaced it with something so vivid and terrible. It, it is, you're right. You know, it, it is unfair. And I imagine that that's what happened, but yeah. Okay. So Presley, I mean, it's really interesting to think about that you have those memories because like you said, essentially there has been one third of your life that has been without Lisa and you've been going on in life and you've learned to do life without that huge part of your life. So then you've got relationships and a life. You remember what life was like before the event and then after. So, you know, you have, you've met your fiance, you have all these big things happening. Um, what is it like then for you, the contrast of before and after meeting people that never knew her developing those friendships? What's that like? I wouldn't say it's really my relationships that I formed after Lisa. You know, I, I, yes, I've met my fiance, you know, I, I talked to him about my sister and I, you know, I talk about the event and, you know, if things happen that remind me, I'll be like, Oh, you know, that Lisa would have been like that. And, you know, you just, you just make comments and unfortunately that's what they are. They're, you know, they're comments and you move on. And, you know, even with friends that I've made after, I would say that my relationships with my family and friends that I had, you know, prior that knew Lisa, you know, are, are deeper and closer than what they were, you know, obviously our family is 
is very close. You know, we very much live through that, you know, as cliche as it is, you know, you don't take life for granted, you know, your time here can be very short, things can happen in a second, you know, all of those things. And, you know, we, we don't leave each other without saying, I love you. And I call my dad almost every day. My mom's gonna kill me for saying this, but she doesn't ever answer my phone calls as much as she should. <laughs> no, she does. She's, she's busy. But, you know, I, it's just, I think you just you grow up and you just, you kind of forget the small stuff. And, you know, you just, I would say life after May 26, I, you know, obviously I had a time there that was maybe a little bit destructive and not, you know, who I should have been. But again, there's not a book on it. And I was, I was 18 when she died. And so, you know, I was, I was traveling through being, you know, a young adult and tragedy and, you know, all of that. And so, but definitely, you know, getting older, I am friends with, you know, the majority of my friends are in their 30s. You know, I, I just I have an older friend group just because, you know, like, I feel like I have had a life that has aged me, if you will. And not that, you know, I don't like who I am. I don't think that I ever missed out on anything being a young adult, obviously, you know, some but yeah, I think you just you have to mature. And I, I think that I wanted to be a person that didn't replace Lisa, you know, for my family, but definitely filled in filled in as much as I could what they lost, you know, and be there wholeheartedly a 1000% whatever you need, just almost make up for what they don't have. And even though, you know, I know that I can never do that and fill that void and what have you, I can at least give it my all to try to take some of that away from them. Well, yeah, it's, you know, funny, we were talking about being the youngest earlier and yeah. how selfish the babies of the family can be. Right. <laughs> but I think, Presley, your commitment to, you know, making sure that your parents are taken care of, or, you know, trying to, trying to fill in that void for them, although you don't need to. And I'm certain your parents would also say that Presley, you don't have to take all this on, but yeah, it's definitely a weight that you have had that shift. You know, and you know, I'm, you know, I'm a daughter. And so I I do that with, you know, my parents and, you know, as a sister, you know, I, I try to do that. I think I could improve definitely in that aspect. Um, but as an aunt, there's nothing I love more than being an aunt. And I, sometimes I wonder if, you know, Zoe and not being able to, you think about, you know, where she'd be at now and all these things. And I was never able to be that for her and, you know, have her as a niece. And I, I think, again, I think I make, I try to make up for it other ways. You know, Lisa was very close to um, my niece Hunter and she was very young when she would have lost her. And they, you know, they were two peas in a pod. And I think that I, again, not trying to replace, but just fill those voids. And I, I do that in all titles that I have, I think, and I try and there's some that I think I could improve on, but yeah, you do. I do just, you know, it is a weight that I took on, but I'm, I'm happy to take that on. And that's not something that I want to change because, you know, my, my relationships with my family, I mean, they're stronger than ever. You know, we talked about me, my mom would have thought I would have left and (laughs) never looked back and probably only been the, yeah, I'll be there Thanksgiving and, you know, Christmas type. And yeah. I'm around and present and that I wouldn't, I wouldn't have it any other way. So, you know, you, it's so many aspects of our family dynamic, you know, my parents not getting along. And after this event, I mean, they're, they're some of the bestest friends right now. You know, they talk often, um, you know, I'm here and I'm a better person for, I just, there's so many silver linings and such a sad, horrific, you know, thing. And I don't know, I don't know if we would have reached where we're at in our relationships within the family if this didn't happen. And so you have to just kind of find those silver linings in something horrible. Like the dog nuts. Like dog nuts. Sometimes <laughs> dog you just nuts. have to get a box of dog nuts and just look at the good stuff. Chow down. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Silver lining, <laughs> absolutely. No, no, I love that, Presley. I think that is absolutely, I mean, it is. It was, it's what makes going through all that awful just a little bit more tolerable. And you do have such a solid support system and your family is just wonderful. So is there anything that you have thought about that you want to kind of talk a little bit about more? Um, so after the visitation, Seth was arrested. I talk about these, you know, meaningful, powerful, you know, small little details that people don't realize. And, um, you know, Seth was arrested using Lisa's handcuffs, which was, you know, very powerful. Uh, at Lisa's funeral, um, this is a weird detail, but when they did the autopsy, they did remove the baby from Lisa. And our family just kind of always thought that was, you know, like a weird a weird thing, but they did. And that's just probably how they do things. And so they kind of asked, you know, what, you know, what do we want to do with Zoe? Our family thought it'd be too odd, you know, obviously a viewing of a 17 week old. Um, but when you see pictures of her, I mean, she, you know, she looks like a baby, you know, it's, it's crazy how much has formed, you know, just in 17 weeks. And so, um, my mom actually made the request that when Lisa is finally laid to rest if they could place Zoe in her arms. Oh my goodness. So that, again, one of those small little details that, you know, really means a lot to our family and we think, and, you know, brings a lot of peace, I think. So yes, so when Lisa was finally laid to rest, they placed Zoe back into Lisa's arms how how it should be. And so, again, just, you know, those powerful, meaningful, they, they bring you peace and all of that. And it's just, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's a lot to think about, but it... Well, and she was so full of life and just so life-giving. And so to think that, just to know that her, her story was cut short so unfairly, especially, you know, she would have been just the best mom. And all she wanted was just to be a mom. I mean, she was so excited and mm -hmm. loved eating her dog nuts and, you know, and <laughs> she was so excited and, you know, it really you know, as much as, you know, you hate, you know, that he, you know, yeah, he cut her life short. Like you hate that he took that joy in that time that she was anxiously, you know, waiting for away from her. It, everything's very hard in this scenario, but it's just, some things just cut a little bit deeper than the next. And, oh my goodness. I can't, I just can't even imagine, but I feel like that would honor, I mean, that's very honorable of her memory and, you know, who she was as a human being and a mother because I mean, she was a mother. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Cause that's really powerful. So Presley, where are you in your process of forgiveness? Like, what does that look like for you? Are you, is that a thing? Yeah. You know, I think that that, uh, that's a great question. And it's, um, and it's something that, you know, I don't think that, you know, I don't even know if it, it's thought about a ton. I, I will not lie and say that I, um, I would one day, you know, hope to be able to face him, you know, again. And then I, you know, my, I've had this conversation with my dad and, you know, he's kind of warned me, like, you're just, you're going to be disappointed. Like, he's not going to tell the truth, you know, some of those, but I just, I think I would one day maybe try to sit across the table and just let him have a chance to say what he needs to say and see, you know, what, I don't know. I don't even, I don't even know what answers or what sort of comment I would expect. And again, I don't, I don't know if still, if it's because I'm holding on to this first segment of him and, you know, my relationship with him that I think he would tell me the truth because obviously he's this terrible person that I have no idea who he is and what's going on. But yeah, yeah I, I, I would like to one day. I, I don't know if that will ever happen. Um, I really don't. So when it comes yeah. to forgiveness, um, I think it, it would depend on how that conversation would go. Right. I think, you know, depending on what he said, I think forgiveness can happen. I think that that can be something that can be shared, but I, 
I think it would be a basis around a certain conversation. Yeah, yeah that would be, I couldn't even imagine sitting across the table from someone who had taken the yeah. life of someone that I love so dearly and expecting to have sense being yeah. made. And oddly enough, you don't think you can do it, but you can sit through a whole visitation and <laughs> be there. And so it's kind of like, but you had the dog nuts. Uh, you, you, you had know? the dog nuts. I know. Had you had the, the dog, dog nuts, nuts. but <laughs> so yeah, you, I mean, you sit through a whole visitation with this person. So I, I think I can do it. You know, when he's handcuffed and <laughs> well, and you, um... it would be an emotional. It would be different. I don't, I don't think that I would have, and not that I wouldn't have the full support of the family. I think that I would, they knew how close I was to him. I think that they would, they would worry. You know, they would definitely worry um, just about like my, not, not even my safety, just like my own like, you know, emotions and, you know, mental, what that could do. But I, I don't know. I, I know that like a lot of the family would not <laughs> go see him, but, and I, I don't know why I feel like I need to, maybe, maybe it's like the last, last straw. Yeah. Well, you, I mean, you addressed him in court. Correct. Yes. And that was really huge. Um, that was, you know, the first not conversation, but that was the first opportunity that you had to speak to him. What you're, what you're saying with the relationship that you had, or, you know, that you believed that you had before, it would make sense that you would want to, that you have this like nagging feeling maybe that, yeah. you know. Yeah. Cause in, you know, in court, when, you know, we, when the family gave their victim impact statements at sentencing, he, you know, you know, I talk about, you know, how he's so cold and stoic and he doesn't even share a glance, you know, in during trials, but during my statement, he stared at me the entire time. I mean, it was, we had eye contact the whole time and that was confusing. And so that, mm -hmm. that just makes you be like, well, why, why now? Mm -hmm. Why are you, because you're a caught, you know, why, why now are you giving this, you know, this glance and, you know, not even that the glance had any sort of expression with it. It really didn't, but it was still, I mean, it was eye contact and that was something that was different than what I had in the past. And so that, and I, you know, I'm not trying to hold on to this relationship because like, I mean, are we going to be best friends again? Absolutely not. No freaking way. I think though you just, maybe it's a part of my grieving process that I need to have a conversation. You know, I don't know. I don't know what this need is, but I can either, you know, entertain it or not. And you know, who knows, but what it means. Yeah. yeah maybe one day, but I, yeah, I definitely think that having that eye contact during victim impact statements was confusing. Yeah. That would make it really difficult to navigate to. Yeah. You had such a, such a relationship with him. Okay. Presley, is there anything else that you want to address or kind of share in your experience with this awful nightmare that was your reality? I don't believe so. I, you know, I think that it's, like I said, you know, no, no scenarios similar. And I know that even if just our similarity is, oh, we've lost a sibling suddenly, you know, that's hard to speak to even find support on, you know, you know, with your friends and stuff. And so like, if you don't have that, like I can be that person. I mean, I, I don't know, again, yeah. I'm a weird morbid griever. So if you are looking for like a lot of like empathy, I'm not that person, but <laughs> if you need some odd jokes on how to get over your grief, hit me up. I just remember specifically, you know, when I, I think I got a boyfriend recently after, or not recently, but like maybe a year, like after trials and you know, everything was done. And <laughs> I remember just telling the guy, I was like, well, as long as you don't kill me, I mean, we've kind of hit the lowest of the low in our family. So, I mean, <gasps> bar set pretty high for you, man. And he just, yeah. and when I tell people that, they get so floored and flabbergasted. And dad thought it was funny and I thought it was funny. But people, yeah, people get a little uncomfortable when you make jokes about. <laughs> yeah, which is funny because, you know, you're the one who has experienced that complete <laughs> right. like, trauma. I have the right. But then other people, yeah, right. Yeah, 
I've went through this for a while now. I have the right to make these jokes, but yeah. I don't, I, I don't mean to make people feel uncomfortable. It's just, it makes light of a, of a horrible situation. And I, you know, I, I get irritated when our family's like, I know Lisa would like this and I know Lisa this, but I'm going to drop it here and be like, I know Lisa would laugh because she's sure. like, oh, you can't say that. And I'm like, no, I did. So I know that she would laugh at a joke like that. Mm-hmm. And so it's just, it's, that's my greeting. I make weird, morbid jokes about. Well, and like you said, there is no book on how one should mourn. Right. So you've got it. I think looking, looking from the outside in, I know that our community still really loves the Caldwell family and has a soft spot in our hearts for your family because of, of this event, because it was so earth shattering. So Presley, what, what would your advice uh, be to anyone who is dealing with the grief of losing a loved one at the hands of someone else? I mean, purposefully or unintentionally, what would your advice be? Um, you know, I think that that would be one of the hardest things to give advice on just because there are so many different aspects, you know, technically Lisa's case is considered, you know, I mean, it's an act of domestic violence, but I, I think, I guess, I think when you think of domestic violence, but there were, you know, there was beatings and there, you know, there was like maybe something that led up to it. Uh, but I mean, this was, this was a one-time event. I mean, I can tell everyone right now, if Lisa was being beat, she would have kicked his ass. And so, you know, I, I, I can, I strongly believe it, you know, this was just like a one-time, you know, horrible thing. And so I think it's just so hard to even, you know, know what advice to give. I think you just have to, you know, I, you know, I talk about, you know, how I'm a weird griever and stuff and, you know, maybe I just need to stop apologizing for how I deal with things. And so maybe for those that feel like they're not doing it right, don't apologize for how you're grieving because grief is not a, a right or wrong. There's not a right or wrong way. Um, you know, obviously don't, you know, don't do destructive things. Don't, don't try numbing agents, you know, feel it, but feel it in a healthy manner and allow yourself that. Yeah. Yeah. I think at the hands of another person, you know, you just, it was out of, it was out of your control. There's no, you know, I know that our, our family, you know, I know that there are ones that were like, you know, and you can sit here and think, you know, the what ifs and, you know, if only, and you know, those will just, those will destroy you. And there are no what ifs. And, you know, if only you just have to, it was out of your control and you have to now Mm -hmm. just sit with the feeling of, and you have to think, you know, if you're, you're heartbroken and you have to, you're heartbroken because you were loved and you loved and you just hold on to that love. And I think, you know, feel the heartbreak, but just know you're feeling that heartbreak because you were loved and you love something and you cherish something so incredibly much that it's breaking you and you just have to hold on to that love. And I don't want to say it gets easier because, you know, I don't, I don't think it gets easier. I think it gets manageable. And I think you, you learn to take a facet that is, you know, that causes a lot of pain and you learn to manage it and, you know, what to do to either overcome that or spin it in a more positive direction. Well, and I remember you talking about how, you know, you sat through all three trials and you, you know, heard your dad over the body mic of, or one of the deputies, he he was wailing. I mean, you heard these awful things that were just tormenting to hear. And you had to hear those things. First of all, you had to hear them is the one thing, but then, but then you had to hear them, you know, three different times for three separate trials. So, right. Right. So you were hearing these things in the trial. And I remember you talking about how in a previous conversation, you had said that you, you kind of have to go numb a little bit to it. And so it's not different. It's not, it's not easier. It's, is it like, would you say that you're just kind of used to the pain? Um, 
I think that um, you almost said desensitized, and I think that that is kind of the perfect word, and I've used that a lot. You know, I I think that I'm desensitized to a lot, and I and I have, I've allowed myself to be desensitized to a lot. Me personally, you know, I don't think that this speaks to everyone that has gone through this, but personally, I have, and and not on all aspects, you know. But you know, if I hear that somebody was murdered, it's not, you know. When you asked me to do this, I, I could tell in your, you know, in your, in your messages and you talking that you were really concerned about me having to relive this. And I, I think that I, in a sense, am desensitized to the, you know, the information and the facts and what happened around different things. You know, there's certain things that, you know, can trigger and I'll be emotional on, but I, I can talk about this pretty, you know, I don't want to say emotionless because I don't think that you just have to cry to show emotion, but I can, I'm really good at separating being like, yeah, this is what happened. Like, it's just, it's just factual. And yeah, I think I'm just very desensitized to it now. You know, I, <laughs> I can be kind of like harsh too. Like, you know, I called my dad, the, you know, fact checked earlier. I'm like, yeah, do you remember Wayne? Like Lisa's autopsy. And then like, she was dead. And, and I, you know, I just, I talk about it so casually. And I think sometimes that can be, you know, alarming <laughs> to some, and not that it's alarming my family, obviously they've been through it, but you know, to some, you know, family and friends and those new relationships that you form and you know, and I'll be like, yeah, my sister was murdered. And it's just, it's, it's easy to say, which just, I desensitized is the best word. Because you've been living it for so long. For support people of those who have, or, you know, working through the grief of losing someone at the hands of another person, what would your advice be to those support people? Um, I've talked about, you know, again, you know, there's not a right, right way to grieve. And I think it's, you know, I think there's so many different ways. Um, you just can't question people. And so, you know, I, and I've done this in my own family, you know, my, <laughs> I was talking to my mom earlier about, um, she likes to find little, you know, meanings in like random events. Like if she's startled for no reason, she'll be like, oh, oh Lisa. And I'm like, mom, like, come on. Like, <laughs> you know, it's not, <laughs> or she'll be like, oh, did you see that orb? There's an orb in this picture. And I'm like, mom, that's not, <laughs> that's her. And I, I, t- I even apologized when I was talking to her about it and we were laughing about it. And I go, mom, I, I shouldn't question that that, you know, be like, tell you that that's not, and that's your way of, of grieving. And that's where you find your peace. And so if the next time you tell me there's an orb in the picture and that's Lisa, I'm going to look at my sister-in-law, Jen, because we just can share this look and know, and I'm not going to say anything. And I go, I, I need to, I need to be a better support person, but you know, there's just <laughs> whoever, you know, if you want to find the, I know. If you want to find those, those little things to help you get through, then absolutely. And as a support person, let them and just in your mind be like, okay, yeah, <laughs> but that person that does feel that. And when they do hear those things, they shouldn't feel crazy because that, that's what, that's what they see and feel. And that's, well, and that, that relationship that you had, that's so unique because I'm asking you about, you know, support people, but like your support people are also the people that need that support. You know what I'm saying? So that's crazy. That's, that's right. so, it's so unique. You know, as many interviews as I've done and, you know, listening to women share these stories, always within the trauma, there are these gifts, you know, and that, you know, that gift, having that, I don't know if solidarity is the right word, but like having that, um, that in common and knowing, just knowing, I'm sure you wouldn't even have to say anything to, you know, your sister right. or your brother or your mom or your dad. You just no, yeah. when you need yeah, extra support. I would agree. I think you can, you definitely pick up on each other's, gosh, whether they be like worried looks or, you know, this, that, whatever, and not always, you know, not always do you. And 
it depends also like how much that person wants to share with you. But I, I do think, you know, we, we all, all experience this. And I think that's, what's important. Like first and foremost is that we all experience mm -hmm. this and each one of us had a very different relationship with Lisa and Seth. And so that, you know, I would say my dad and myself were, you know, closer to Seth. And so we, we kind of have that, I don't bond, if you will, on how to handle, you know, that kind of extra and, you know, the whole family, I mean, was close to Seth, but we kind of have let, you know, that extra step to work through in that aspect. Um, there were people that were closer to Lisa, you know, than the next, but everyone's relationship is different, you know, with Lisa as well. And so, yeah, you're right. You know, our support people are the people that are also grieving. And so that's complex, very complex. Yeah. Oh my goodness. But also a weird, awful gift, bizarre and comforting all at the same time. Yeah. And that, you know, when we try to talk about relationships post Lisa and, you know, you know, pre Lisa, you appreciate that you you've gone through something with people and they, you know, they can understand um, your feelings and they can at least, you know, they were there to experience them themselves. So they, you know, they have a respect for how you feel, but I can also appreciate, you know, having those yeah. relationships where they didn't go through it. And it kind of, it gives a whole new perspective oh, yeah. on how to be a, you know, a support person, if you will. So I have my support people that have a different perspective than my support people that had experienced it as well. Because I think, I think sometimes, you know, your support, support person that's grieving can, there can be like a bias or there can be like, well, I don't do that. And I don't think that way. So why are you? And so I think you need like a combination of both. Yeah, I did. I, I do. So. Yeah. And that's like double, double the support because there, there are those differences. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Presley. I am so thankful that you were willing to share um, because I feel like many of us know what happened, you know, inside the courtroom and we knew, I mean, every, everyone was like, or walking in eggshells, just quietly listening for the verdict and, and your family was under such a, such a lens for so long. It's nice to hear your, your personal journey through that whole thing. So thank you so much for sharing. Yeah, no, I appreciate you letting me come on and share. Like I said, I, you know, I'm an, I'm an open book. And so although when this airs, I don't want to friend request of people wanting to know me, but don't friend request her. Yeah. Say it. It's weird when you friend request somebody when you don't know them, but if you know me, <laughs> that's a different story. No, I always know when the Dateline episode airs because they, I get more and it's odd. Anyways, no, I, I definitely appreciate you, you know, having me on here and being able to share, you know, my side. I know I said we as the family a lot and I can't speak, you know, entirely for them. Um, but, you know, we really think how the community, you know, supported us during that time. And, you know, I, I a thousand percent, you know, with my whole entire heart, hope nobody has to ever go through this. But even if it is, you know, like I said, that similarity of losing a sibling unexpectedly and all of that jazz. Like I am somebody that can reach out. I can be that support person for you. I, I might be that support person that has a similar perspective or not. And so I think that people shouldn't be hesitant to reach out for, you know, help. I think that that's, it's, it's important to reach out for help a lot. Yeah. And with a situation as unique as this, having, you know, real, I mean, empathy implies that you've been through a similar experience. And so to have someone who have, you know, gone through that experience can make you feel a little more comfortable and in your process, because as we've talked about lots this evening, that there is not one way to grieve. Well, Presley, thank you. I'm so glad that you are here. 
you guys, Presley Caldwell has shared her story yeah. on losing her sister, Lisa, to the hands of her husband. Lisa's husband, not Presley's. That's, that's coming, right? Brett, you're getting married soon, right? Yes. And I, I feel so weird when I say, hopefully I'm getting married in March because... Right. <laughs> pandemic. Like, what do you mean? What do you mean? What do you mean? Hopefully. But we're actually planning for a destination wedding in Ireland. And so it is all kind of surrounded around wonderful COVID right now. So... Yeah. Shoot. Yes. So as of right now, you know, the plan is to go and get married, you know, have a Guinness and get married on the cliffs, but we also can't take a month off work. So right now there are requirements that you have to quarantine for 14 days. So, oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, uh, I say, hopefully <laughs> it's, it'll just be your honeymoon. It'll be fine. Yeah. It'll be fine. It sounds like I'm not like engaged whenever I'm like, I hopefully I'm getting married in March, but <laughs> it's just COVID. It's not, my question is not about my husband. My question is about not the date. Yeah. Yet, but, you know, I've always dreamt, you know, no, it's no, it hasn't been like that, but. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Presley, I have so enjoyed listening to you and just your entire attitude around this whole event. It's been full of ups and downs all along the way. Um, so thank you so much for sharing. I so appreciate it. Yes. Thank you. Guys, Presley Caldwell. Thank you so much. I will catch you guys next time on the B podcast. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode. Make sure to click the link in the description to join the hive membership for only $5 a month. Join me in an exclusive mission to see that all stories everywhere are shared. And don't forget to rate and review our pod so that all women everywhere can find us, be encouraged, and be inspired. Again, thank you so much for listening. Screenshot this week's episode and share on your social media to bring awareness to this project. I'll catch you next week. I'm Cami Milliken, and this has been The Bee Podcast.